If uh, you are just joining us, my name is Caleb Lynch, and I'm the lead pastor here. I get to do a lot of preaching. You see me a lot, you hear my voice a lot, and you are sick of my voice as much as I am, but I love you all the same. And uh, man, I am excited for where uh, God is taking us for this next little stretch um, through his word. We, we've been in some series during this time. Uh, we, got, we paused for a little while, then we restarted, then we got stuck. And now we're going to just crack open the Word of God. You okay with that? Um, How many of you have read through the book of Hosea? Some of you. Every word in that book? Okay. Come on. It's a crazy book. That's where we're going to be. And um, some of you, ladies, you've read the book Redeeming Love. Okay. You had a lot of time. We had like six months. And hey, I can kind of hear your laughter this time. This is good. This is good. Um, we are going to go through the book of Hosea, and it is a fairly short book, so we're only going to, we're going to try to do it in four weeks, uh, and then the fifth week we will be up at MMR, Mountain Meadows Ranch, doing a little hangout, picnic, be together, eat food together, and be outside together, so we'll, we'll end it before that, and then when we come back, we're going to actually go through the book of 1 John, so the book of 1 John when we, when we return back, so we're looking forward to that. Um, to my people online, love you guys, wish you were here with us, but we understand you can't be. And so I'm glad to be able to give this message to you as well. Um, calling the book uh, Relentless Pursuit, the study, the, the, the collection of talks, we'll call it Relentless Pursuit. Um, you're going to find out really quickly, this book is a, a prophetic book. So it, it gets categorized in, in the book of prophets. Um, there's several prophet books, and this is one of them. And it is going to be a continual book of us getting to see this relentless love of a God who continually pursues an adulterous people, uh, an unfaithful people. And uh, many of us, we could say, that's me at times. And so uh, it will be applicable to all of us, I believe that. Uh, But I'd love to give you a little intro to the book, uh, just some information about it. Hosea is considered a minor prophet, so you have major prophets and then you've got minor prophets. Does anyone know what the distinction is? Why we call some major and why we call some minor? Does anyone know? What is it? Batting average. Yes, very close. Very, actually, it's very close to that. It is actually, yes, Charlie. No, but that would, that's, I love that right there. I love that. But that's not the answer. The, the answer is actually just the size of the book. So the major prophets just have a little bit more play. They have a better batting average, and the minor prophets strike out a little bit more. No, they don't strike out. They, they just do less. They're just smaller books. And so um, there's several major prophets, there's several minor prophets, and they all bring the heat in a lot of different ways. So um, when you think of prophecy, you oftentimes think of like fortune-telling. Isn't that kind of what you think of? That's where I go when I hear the word prophecy is someone that can tell the future. Um, What you'll see as you open up a lot of these uh, prophetic books uh, is that that's part of it. Certainly, that's a big part of what they do, but they also do a couple of other things. And so, um, sometimes they're just proclamation. They're just preaching. They're just teaching truth. These prophets, most of the work that they do is just telling truth. They're just truth tellers. Um, Some you will see is that they do prediction, future telling, but then for a select few... And it never goes good for these select few. But some of them 
are actually living out a prophetic ideal. So they're actually taking on a lifestyle or something is happening to their life that essentially is telling the story of something to come or some truth reality. It's like they're, they're stepping foot into a parable. Does that make sense? So for some of these prophets, not only are they telling the truth, not only are they predicting the future, God has actually given them a lifestyle or something into their narrative story that teaches a reality or a truth of God. That's Hosea. So Hosea is one of the only prophets that does all three or has all three happen through him. Um, Prophecy... I don't know if you guys remember this, and I don't know how true this story is. I just heard it. So if it's not true, don't blame me. I heard it from someone else that lied to me. Um, but there was this story, uh, uh, 1938, I think is the date, and the new king of England was going to do a radio broadcast, and it was going to be broadcast all over the world, well, primarily in England, but then in the United States. And right before the broadcast was meant to air, go live on air, um, one of the radio broadcast workers tripped over a cable and it separated the cable and disconnected the feed. And immediately, without thinking, one of the engineers who understood how radio waves worked picked up the two ends of the radio cable and let the signal transmit through his body and the King of England was able to broadcast his message to the world. Um, I have no idea if it's a true story, but it sounds cool. And some of you that are smarter than me could tell me if that is possible or not. But either way, that's a great picture of what a prophet is. He is receiving from God information and then transmitting it out to the people. That make sense? Cool? Tracking? Hosea uh, gets one of the longest terms of being a prophet. Being a prophet... um, There was prestige that came with it, but they also were kind of hated by just about everyone. People recognized that they were of God or that they had something significant to say from God, but most did not like that. Uh, Not a lot has changed in our time. Um, But here's the reality. Hosea had one of the longest stretches of being a prophet. He was a prophet, they think, for 45 years. Um, So the readings we will read through this, most of them will be poetic. If if you've read through the book of Hosea, much of it's just poetry. Um, But this is kind of a collection of poetry that spans potentially over a 45-year span of time. During his time, there were several other prophets that were doing their thing. Micah, Isaiah, Amos, they were all doing prophetic work at the same time. Many of them were... uh, teaching to, declaring to, prophesying, correcting um, the the tribes of Judah. So at this time, Israel was split. The people of God were split. You had the the kingdom of Israel, and you had the kingdom of Judah. And some of these other prophets were really speaking directly to Judah. Um, But Hosea, you will see this as we go through it, he will speak um, almost entirely to the kingdom of Israel, the tribes of Israel. Um, He gives it a name. Remember this name because you'll see this as we go through it. If you want to write this down like in the side columns, none of you have Bibles with you, what am I saying? If you want to write this down somewhere, um, here is is what the word is that he will use to describe Israel. It's called Ephraim. 
So you'll see him 36 times through this book of Hosea. He'll cry out to Ephraim or he'll scold Ephraim or he'll tell Ephraim that they've done something wrong. When you see the word Ephraim, just see uh, Israel. And, and it's more than just a location. It's the, this people group of Israel. Does that make sense? So you'll see him use that word. Um, throughout his book, he will... Um, give 150 statements concerning the sin of Ephraim, the sin of Israel. So he's going he's gonna to try to correct some of their behavior and some of the ways they've been living and some of the ways they've been sinning against God. And he's going to do it 115 times in these short 14, ver- or 14 chapters. So the book's 14 chapters long, but they're really short. Like you could literally read the entire book of Hosea in 30 minutes. It's a short book. And 150 times he's going to bring up or address some kind of sin within them. And over half of them are going to be in relation to this, and you'll see it flooded throughout all of Hosea, this idea of idolatry, this of taking on another king, another lord, another thing to give praise to. And, and, and he's going to present it in a way of what we would call spiritual adultery spiritual adultery. And he's going to use examples through the life of Hosea for actual adultery. Is this making sense at all? You guys tracking with me? Okay, here we go. We're doing it. Um, One of the things that he will address in um, Ephraim in Israel is this, um, this idol worship, this adulterous worship of Baal, B-A-A-L, Baal, and at this time, Baal uh, is more of an umbrella language for uh, a Canaanite worship of uh, an idol. Um, the specific Baal that he is referencing throughout all of this book of Hosea is, is one of this God that was a God of fertility. Fertility, fertility of land, but also fertility of humanity. And so what happens during these fertility ceremonies shall not be mentioned, but they have lots to do with the fertility of women. And um, it's one of the things that you will see Hosea address often. Um, During this time, the the people of God, of this Israel, this this northern kingdom, um, they have begun to take some of the ideals and the idolatry that they have put their, their worship towards Baal, and they have combined it with some of the things of God, and they have begun to start worshiping God the same way that they worship Baal. And the way that they worshiped Baal was to worship him because if they praised him, he would then give them the things they needed. And so they've taken that ideal, that way of seeing, and they've moved it towards some of the ideals and the beliefs and the theology that they had of their God, Yahweh. And you'll see Hosea confront them on that and saying, this is maybe just as bad as you worshiping Baal, is that you are worshiping God the way that you worshiped Baal. Does that make sense? So you'll see some of that in his language. Um, One of the things that you will realize very quickly as we go through this You're going to see Hosea go through a real life story 
a real-life circumstance, and very quickly you will know that what God is doing is he's using these circumstances in Hosea's life to paint a picture of how Israel is responding and living. But very quickly you will find yourselves going, he's talking about all of us. So he's not just telling a story of Hosea and what we will find out soon, his wife named Gomer. He's not just telling a story of the rebellion of the people of Israel. He's he's describing the human existence in relation to God. And you'll, you'll see it, you'll sniff it out immediately. And that's why this book is such a profound book for us and for this time. Let me see, what else? You guys like those little fun little facts, little starting points? Um, I want us to give a definition to sin before we get started. You, you could define sin in a lot of different ways. Um, I wanted to define sin for this specific series as spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. So you can just write that down. Stay with me on it. We'll define it more as we go. We'll, we'll think through what does that mean um, but I want us to, to have that. And, if, you're, and if, you're, uh, if the word adultery doesn't make sense or not quite sure how to define that, you could, you could easily trade that out. It's not a perfect example, but you could easily trade that word out with the word unfaithfulness. For today, um, we're going to primarily hang out in Hosea, and then we're going to hang out in chapters 1 and 2. So if you don't know where Hosea is, open your Bible to the middle, and then go right a little bit, and when you hit Daniel, the next story is Hosea. So you open your book, you probably hit like Psalms or Proverbs, keep going right towards the New Testament, and you will run into Hosea. Um, I'm not going to go verse by verse by verse. There, there's a lot in these verses that... Um, I don't know if we will ever understand what they fully mean until we get home. Um, some of the poetic language, some of the things he describes, some of the things he's uh, predicting, I don't even know if all of them have taken place yet. And I don't even know if there are smart enough scholars to decipher every word of what he is teaching. Uh, I don't say that as an excuse to skip over things. I don't say that as an excuse to not teach certain things. But what I, what I do want to do is I want to spend uh, a large portion of our time really diving into the truths and the realities that I do know for sure Hosea is trying to get to us through God. God through Hosea. Cool? So, the story uh, starts like this. Hosea is a prophet. He receives the word of God and God immediately asks him to do something. So the book opens with this scenario. So I'm just going to read it. Here's our first verse. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it up on the brand new Sky Bibles. And hopefully that helps. Um, no, keep going back. Go back to slide one. Keep going. Slide two, sorry. Cool. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea... The Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry forsaking the Lord. 
So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Debalium, and, and she conceived and bore him a son. If I had to pick which prophet I would like to be, I would not like to be this prophet. Um, can, can you imagine what he's asking? Hosea is pretty convinced he is now going to be used by God to declare truths to the people of God. And his first thing God asks him to do is to go down to the red light district and get a wife. Many will tell you that this can't be a real thing that God would have asked him because God would never ask a man to go marry a woman of harlotry. If you want to know my opinion, um, I see a God who has only pursued people of harlotry for all of eternity. I, I know that he has pursued me, and I know that I have sinned against him. I know that I have, at times, you get what I'm saying. And I believe that if the character of God is one that chases after and pursues a race of people that has sinned against him, that has chased after other idols, that has put our worship in other things, um, why wouldn't he invite Hosea into a similar nature and circumstance such as that? I know that this verse exists. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ pursued us, saved us, picked us, I know a story of the Last Supper where I see uh, Jesus talking to his disciples and he knows, it says that he knows that um, the evil one has already started to stir Judas's heart and he still hands over the cup of the new covenant to that man. I know that that's true. So the story has it, he, 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 he grabs Gomer and he marries her, and they have three kids, and um, we'll get to some of that later. And then, after having these three kids, she actually returns back into the slave sex trade and commits adultery against Hosea. She breaks their covenant of marriage. Let's throw this next verse up. For she said, I will go after my lovers who will give me bread and my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, and my drink. Um, I, don't, I don't say this to condemn. I just say this as a reality of the human condition is that I can, I can see all of us in this situation here. We have been brought close by the Lord, and yet often we choose to run away and to go back into things that we know are not best for us, right? Like, can, can, we, can we agree to that? Like, none of us are without that. I love this next verse. It seems harsh, 
but it's this beautiful picture of what the Lord does. Therefore, be, therefore, behold, I will hedge her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her path. She will pursue her lovers, but she will not overtake them, and she will seek them, but will not find them. This beautiful picture of what I see God doing in my own life, these, these hedges of protection... For me, they sometimes feel like thorns. They feel like barriers. They feel like, God, why won't you just let me have a little bit of fun, huh? And he's going, it's not good for you. I love the second part of this verse. These words, she will pursue, but she will not overtake them. Um, this is a word of satisfaction. This is a word of fulfillment. This is an idea of she will pursue but never find fulfillment. And then, and then he continues and he says, and she will seek them, but will not find them. Do you know of any other verses that sound similar to that, but that are the exact opposite? There's one by Jesus, Matthew 7, 7, that says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. There is only one where fulfillment, satisfaction, hope, delight, joy, and peace can be found. And his name is Jesus Christ. Let's keep going to the next verse. I love this picture. It says this, For she does not know that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which she used for Baal. It's a beautiful picture of our Lord of God, who as we are running away, as we are claiming that the fruits of goodness come from things outside of him, he is still continually lavishing us with gifts. Is that astounding? We're over here trying to pursue the gifts of goodness and life and fulfillment, and he's over here showering us with blessings. Isn't that astounding? That even in the midst of us turning and running to worship something else, our God is right behind us going, let me, let me be the one to bless. I better get an amen out of that right there. People don't like this next one. I will punish her. For the days of Baals, when she used to offer sacrifices to them and adorn herself with earrings and jewelry and follow her lovers so that she forgot me, declares the Lord. I will punish her. We like, we like the, the, the gift giver God. We like the God that pursues us even when we run. We like, we like that God. But I think it's really hard when these words come up. Let me say something. You, you do not want a God. You do not want the sustainer of the universe, the giver of life to bat an eye at evil. You do not want a God that looks the other way and goes, yeah, 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 it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We're good. We're good with the evil, bad, the bad stuff. We're fine. It's fine. You don't want that God. Sometimes we think we want that God. 
But if he is going to be God and he is going to be good and he is going to be just and he's going to be in charge, he has to, has to, has to despise wickedness. He has to. Otherwise, we, we don't have God. We just have some kind of genie that lavishes us with good gifts when we want them and when we don't want them, we just go do our own thing. That's not, that's not what we want. We want a God who is fully in control, who has the final say over evil, who has defeated evil. We want, we want that God. That's the God we want. And so if, if, if we want that God, we also have to understand that all wickedness, all evil will be punished by him. And so he punishes. We'll get, we'll get to us here in a second. We're, we're in a whole different dispensation of time where punishment looks a little different. We'll get to that in a little bit, but understand that God must punish wickedness. But if these next verses don't run chills down the back of your spine, I don't know what will. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her out into the wilderness and I will speak kindly to her. Remember what he just said. I'm going to punish her for what she did. And the next words out of his mouth are, I am going to woo her back to me. Is that, is that not astounding what the love of God does? It sees the sin for what it is, has to. And in that very moment, the script gets flipped. Maybe it doesn't even get flipped. His nature just moves towards in love. Is that astounding? Isn't that beautiful? When you see this word of wilderness, that kind of sounds bad. Like you're like, I don't want to go out in the wilderness and have him say kind words to me. Like I don't know what that means. But here's, here's what the wilderness was for, for, for the, these people of Israel. If you remember from the Exodus, they wandered through the wilderness and how they viewed it was that period of time before the promised land, they viewed that as the engagement period, the betrothal period. So essentially what he's starting to describe here is a new marriage, a rejoining of commitment, a wooing back after the covenant has been broken. Is this making sense? It's beautiful. Be beautiful. I'm going to say this, and I don't know if it's for anyone here, but I wonder, like, like I believe those of us that are believers have the spirit of God within us. Like this, this spirit that, that, that moves in these ways. I wonder how long I, I'll just use me and, and maybe, maybe, maybe it hits some of you. I wonder how long I have, um, I can just use the same words, punished those in my world that have sinned against me. I wonder how long I have kept them to the flames for what they did. And I, and I wonder, I wonder even as just reading these words, if God's calling my heart to, um, to restore that relationship, to move back, even though um, 
the relationship has been severed because of pain or wrongdoing. I wonder, I wonder if God is calling me back into that relationship for restoration. I, I don't know, but I read these verses and I know it does something in my heart to know that that is the nature and the personality of God. And if that God indwells me, I wonder if he's calling me into that and I'd love for that to be true. Let's keep going. The beauty doesn't stop there. He says this, in that day... I will also make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and the war from the land. And I will make them lie down in safety. Listen to these next words. And I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. I like that verse. It says, in that day, um, when you read through the Old Testament, you'll, you'll hear them use this phrase, in that day, or the day of the Lord. You've seen that? Um, the Old Testament doesn't distinguish between the first and the second coming of Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about this? So Jesus, we believe Jesus showed up a couple thousand years ago, right? That was the first coming. We believe we walked the planet, he died on the cross for us, he gave us new life, he breathed new life into us. That's the first coming. But we also believe that there is a second coming. The Old Testament sees this whole chapter in the story of God kind of as one, right? This restoration of humanity, this forgiveness of the sin debted against us. And, and so they call it in that day or the day of the Lord. You'll see that get used in Hosea, you'll see it get used a ton. So he's saying, when that day happens, I will. I will bring you to myself in faithfulness, in righteousness. Um, you know that day that they're describing is Jesus, right? He's kind of a big deal. Let's talk about a covenant for a second. He says, in that day I'll make a covenant. Covenant is just a fancy word for like, like we use it in marriage, right? Same kind of thing, like a marriage covenant. It's like an agreement, right? It's like this bond of unity, this sacred, yes, we're all in together. We're on the same team. We are one. We, we, have, we have made a decision to be united and faithful to the relationship. That's that covenant picture. And God's saying, in that day, I will make a covenant with you forever. Why can it be forever? Because the one who came named Jesus paid for all of the debt, all of the things that would have broken that covenant, past, present, and future, so that now for eternity, that covenant can be, can be held up. Does that make sense? Why well, use that word forever? Do you remember what I love about God? That was an interesting question, the way I said that. Do you remember what I love about God? You wouldn't know. But anyways, here, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm trying to say. Um, do you remember when he made his first covenant? He did one with Noah, with the, with the flood, and he said, look, I'm, I'm making this covenant with you. I'm not going to flood the earth anymore, and like, you're going to go make a lot of babies, and, and you're going to remember this covenant because every time you see a rainbow, you'll remember that promise, right? It's that promise. Abraham, he did something similar with Abraham. Um, he said, look, you're, you're going to be the, the dude like over all of the people of God, like you're going to be the start and, and see the stars in the sky, like that's going to be your offspring and that's going to be the people of God. You're going to be my chosen race. And the reminder that he gives them is a little bit 
odd, but he says all the men in your tribe, all the men of your people will, will circumcise themselves, and that's how you'll know that the promise is legit. That'll be your reminder. That'll be your wedding ring, <laughs> if you will. A little odd, but that's what he chose. He's God, I'm not. Um, but here's the cool thing about these covenants that God makes. We're used to, when you go to a marriage ceremony, we're used to seeing both sides of the party agree to the, the covenant. Right? The vows. You see these vows go back and forth. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. Right? We see it going back. It's like this mutual agreement. The covenants of God, here's how it goes. He says, I declare the covenant. I declare the terms. I will withhold it. I will keep my promise whether you break it or not. And all I ask you to do is put the ring on. Isn't that, isn't that astounding? Abraham, when he makes the covenant of the people of God, he waits for Abraham to go to bed. And then he does his thing. And Abraham wakes up. He's like, hey, the covenant's good. We're good. Let's do this thing. He waits for him to go to bed. Like, that is astounding. And the reason he does it is because he knows that us as human beings are bound to screw it up, and he ain't going to let that happen. He's like, I'll be the one to withhold it. I'll be the one to keep it. I'll be the one to make sure that it remains forever. Hmm. Let's, uh, I want to go back a little bit in this. Um, we didn't talk about Hosea's kids. I want to finish with this thought. Will you, will you throw that verse up for me? And the Lord said to him, this is right at the start, uh, right, right where we began. We kind of skipped over this, but I want to go back here. And the Lord said to him, name him Jezreel for yet a little while and I will punish the house of Jew for the bloodshed of Jezreel and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, name her Lo-Ruamah. For I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel. When she had weaned Lo-Ruamai, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, name him Lo-Ruamai. For you are not my people, I am not your God. These were part of the opening lines that he gave Hosea. Uh, the first one was go marry a, a gal that's done some bad things and take her as your wife. The next one was have some kids and your kids' names, Jezreel. Uh, lo Ruamai and Loamai. Jezreel is this word of scattering. So his first child, he's, he's saying, you once were my people, like I had you here, like, like little hens, and now I'm doing this motion. That's your first kid. Let's name him that. The next one, well, let's name it no mercy. I no longer will have mercy on you. The third one, let's, let's name that child um, I am not your God. The, the way that it would be translated best, I am not, I am. I am not, I am. I am was that covenant name. We just talked about that covenant of Abraham. Remember when Moses went to the burning bush and, and he says, tell him, who should I tell him is sending me? And he says, tell him I am is sending you. That's that covenant name of God, Yahweh is I am. And so this could be translated, name your kid, I am not your I am. I wouldn't pick that one for... That's how he starts the book. But listen to how he finishes uh, chapter 2. 
I will sow her for myself in the land. Remember that word of scattering, that word of sowing? Look what he's saying now. This is the character of God. He has to be upset with sin. And at the very same moment, he goes, no, I've made a covenant bond and a promise with you. I will sow her for myself in my land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. You have to understand what he's establishing here before we get any further into this book. He is establishing a principle, an understanding, a theology of God that says, I am so upset with sin. And at the very same time, I know the promises I have made. And those promises will continue to draw me to you. Regardless of your rebellion, regardless of your unfaithfulness, I am going to keep pursuing you. You guys, there's, there's, there's like no better story ever told. Like it's the most unbelievable reality that the God of the universe who had every right to just like wipe us out because of our sin, he goes, no, 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 no. I am, I am deeply in love with these people and I will continue to uphold my promises regardless of the situation. Like that's got to do one of those, like you know how the kids do the little mind blow thing? That's got to do that. And, and here's the cool part. The story gets better next week. So you've got to come back next week. And um, would you bring someone with you? Seriously. Like, I think, have them listen to this week and then have them come this next week. If, if, if you want someone to learn the realities and the truths of who God is and what he does and how he moves towards us, these two weeks would be a great two weeks for someone to hear that is just wondering, do I try this thing on? Bring someone with you. Don't tell them to listen online. Just bring them here with you. Have them come with us. Um, I think the part I, um, I love so much about this book is that it points to Jesus. I think so much of what is being depicted is a picture of what got fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And I think it's a picture of what got fulfilled when, um, when God like did this swap. What I mean by this is he, he took our idolatry, he took our unfaithfulness, he took our adultery, and he put it on the very person that had no adultery, that had no unfaithfulness, that was pure, blameless, righteous, holy. He put it all on him so that those things would not be counted or credited to our report. Remember John the Baptist, he sees Jesus coming, and he goes, there he is. There's that guy that's going to take away the sins of the world. So God does this amazing swap, but it gets better. Listen to what he does. He doesn't only just take away our sins, right? That's, that was like what the cross did. It took away our sins. But then it paid for our sins. But then he does this amazing thing. He actually then gives us the holiness, righteousness, blamelessness, faithfulness of God to us. Isn't that, isn't that astounding? And that's actually what we're going to see through this book. And so let me, let me pray because what we're going to do now is we're going to go into a time of communion, which is our time to celebrate that reality. Um, but let me pray for us and we'll jump right into it. Lord, we thank you for this story of Hosea and Gomer. We pray you use it. We pray you use it to remind our hearts of who you are and what you do. We love you. We give you this time of communion. We take it in celebration 
We take it in anticipation of what you will do within us. We love you, Lord. Man, do we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.